Hey listeners, Jerry Graff would like to apologize for swearing so much in the last podcast. He'd also like to apologize to the Catholic Church and to Mike Douglas and Eric Johnson, who cut his snicker stuff. Hello and welcome to The A-List, the podcast that asks the world's top advertising professionals how they got started in the business. I'm Tom Chrisman, Chief Creative Officer at DeMassimo Goldstein, an inspiring action agency in New York City. Today, I talk to Rob Schwartz, CEO of TBWA Shiat Day. We talk about the catcher in the rye, taking out the garbage, and how to be a pirate, among other things. The A-List is brought to you by Ad House Advertising School, advertising age called Ad House New York's newest, smallest, and arguably hippest ad school. Their philosophy? An ad class is only as relevant as the professional who teaches it. Ad House classes are taught by the best in the biz in the agencies where they work. You get 10 weeks of classes for just 600 bucks. To apply, go to adhousenyc.com. That's adhousenyc.com. And for the latest news, follow Ad House NYC on Facebook. Hi, Rob Schwartz. Hi, Tom. How are you? Living the dream. Welcome. You're the second uh, in-house, in, in-person uh, interview I've done. It's it's different than doing it on the phone. Yeah, well. Because I have to make eye contact, which I, I don't. Yeah. <laughs> well, I figure, listen, we're in New York, and that's the magic of New York. You know, we can get together and do stuff. Yeah. Know? Yeah. Thanks for coming in. Uh, listen, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure and an honor. You're dressed in your your uh, your signature outfit, which I saw in an interview that you said you you always dress like that. It's just just makes life simpler. Well, yeah, I didn't always dress like that. I used to be a slob, um, <laughs> but uh, when I took the job as a CEO of um, okay. TBWA Shite Day right here in the city of New York, yes, uh, I read this interesting piece on Lou Wasserman, and when Lou Wasserman, who was the um, eventual chairman of MCA big uh, entertainment company. Yeah. When he started uh, at MCA, he kind of looked around and he said, you know, people weren't, they weren't like looking like they were ready to go for business. Okay. And uh, he said something like, you know, we're asking people for uh, millions of dollars. We should look very professional. And I thought, you know, I've come from the creative side into a leadership role. We're asking clients for millions of dollars. Maybe I'll be the guy who shows up and looks responsible. That's perfect. Yeah. And you're also our first uh, CEO, mm. but you've come from your, we're going to get into where you came from sure. and, and how you got there. Um, so where where did you grow up? Where did you start, Rob Schwartz? Well, well, I'm a New Yorker, New Yorker. I grew up here on the east side, I, uh, 56th and 2nd, just you know, wow. sort of spitting distance uh, from the agency and, yeah. uh, you know, not too far from here. And uh, I went to uh, Riverdale, which is a great school up in the Bronx, mm-hmm. and um, I then went on to the University of Michigan. And uh, what did well, your What did your parents do? How did you like? What did you want to be when you grew up in the city? Where you grew up in, I guess the the city when it was kind of cool, right? I mean, it was it was <laughs> cool by dangerous. It wasn't as yeah. It was more dangerous. Um, I uh, my parents were not in the business at all. Um, I. Uh, I wanted to be a writer. Um, I think probably the most, you know, I think after reading Catcher in the Rye in eighth grade, I thought, wow, this is. You went up to the duck pond and you you sat there and you. Uh... <laughs> yeah, I just felt like it was something where the words on the page like leapt out and kind of materialized. It was really right. kind of a special thing. And uh, when I was in college uh, in the mid 80s, uh, 
Jay McInerney had written Bright Lights, Big City, mm -hmm. which I loved. Mm -hmm. And um, Brett Easton Ellis had written Less Than Zero, mm -hmm. which I loved. And I, by then, for whatever reason, I knew the magic of three. And I was like, I'm going to write the third great coming-of-age novel. Yeah. And uh, that was a fail. And eventually, I worked my way to advertising. Why was that a fail? How, how, how did you, like, what was your first, would you, in high school, were you writing? Were you trying to write? In high school, I was, like, writing for... Uh, uh, like there was, we had the newspaper and then we had like a, a lampoon of the newspaper. Mm -hmm. I was really influenced by um, National Lampoon and right. like I loved Cream magazine. Yeah. Uh, you know, I was a real, you know, kind of magazine person. Um, so I wrote like kind of the the, the alternative um, newspaper and yeah. for that. And, you know. The mad magazine of high school. Yeah. You know, I'm not sure it was that funny. <laughs> But uh, I eventually became the editor-in-chief of my yearbook. So I was sort of like, yeah, I think there's something interesting about telling stories and you right. know, doing that kind of thing. Yeah. And then when you were going to college, did you, we, did you always knew you wanted to go to Michigan? No. Or was it I, Michigan I, State? Sorry. No, 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 no. University of Michigan. Okay, University of Michigan. Yeah. You know what they say if you uh, can't get into college, I don't mess that you, know, up. you go to Michigan State. All right. But, uh, <laughs> That's funny. Um, I applied to two schools. I applied to Michigan and Harvard. And uh, the folks at Harvard uh, really helped me and said, you know what, you're going to do much better at Michigan than you are <laughs> here. My sister claims that I was waitlisted at Harvard. Uh, I have no recollection of that. Okay. But I loved Michigan. Um, I, uh, I went out there on a weekend with a buddy of mine. And when I got to Ann Arbor, I just said, wow, like this is college. Yeah. And, it's like um, college from the movies. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, and they had a good football team then. In fact, uh, Jim Harbaugh, who's the coach now, was the uh, quarterback then. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So those things kind of made it uh, a good place for me. So you went to school with Jim Harbaugh. I, I did. But, totally uh, knew him. Because <laughs> it's a small school. Yeah. yeah we, <laughs> University of Michigan. Yeah. We, I was about uh, six degrees away from uh, yeah. Jim Harbaugh. <laughs> when you were in the school. Yeah. yeah. And actually, temperature-wise, too. <laughs> Um, and what uh, you you were studying to become a lawyer there, right? What did you study at uh, at school? Well, was it always law, or was it just kind of business? And well, I was an English major. Oh, okay. So, so um, still the novel thing. Yeah, still the novel thing. And uh, I, I think just on the novel point, uh, what I didn't know then, what I know now, is that I started writing these novels from the beginning. And what I'd come to learn very late in life is that, no, 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 you should kind of know the ending and work your way backwards. Right. Um, and uh, I had a lot of great beginnings. Yeah. And then I would just sort of fizzle out. Right. And I, well, again, the fizzling, you know, really led to a uh, robust advertising career. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. But that was really the issue there. So that was one of the things you learned from, from doing, from failing at that, you know, quote, yeah. unquote, failing at that is that. There's a way to do it, and it's and you use that now in your in your advertising life. I yeah, guess. So, yeah, I, I would say 50 percent of the time. I yeah. mean, I, I and especially becoming a CEO, you really start thinking um, sort of the end game and work your way backwards. Right. Um, I think as a creative and as a creative director, sometimes I thought about the end game, but a lot of times I just you know, let's see what happens. Yeah. You know? And when did when did the uh, you want to. You want some more coffee? <laughs> yeah, when you, did you, you have to edit the coffee some of here? Is my, uh, very good. Some of my uh, my lunch. Yeah. Um, just on the law thing, uh, this maybe yeah. maybe your listeners will like this story. So, I uh, had graduated in I think May, uh, and um, I started taking the Stanley Kaplan 
class to prep for my LSAT. And, um, you know, everybody around me at this time, uh, you know, around the late 80s, you know, was was either a lawyer or a banker or a doctor. Yeah. And um, so I felt the pressure to do that. And um, I think like a lot of people, you don't sort of know who you are and you sort of uh, you sort of say, OK, well, I'm just going to, you know, go with the flow. Do here. what everybody's um, doing. Yeah. There's some class three rapids on this river. I'm just going to keep paddling and maybe something good will happen. Uh-huh. Uh, and I studied for this LSAT. And uh, on a Saturday morning, I went in and I, uh, you know, started, you know, lo- you know, working the test, as it were. Mm-hmm. And like around, I don't know, maybe it was like question 60, 72. I was just like, I, I don't want to do this. And I literally just got up. I tore up uh, the LSAT and I walked out. And wow. I, and I never looked back. What did you think you wanted to do at that point? Did you, was it still like, I want to be a writer? I'm going to do it? There was something in me that had that. It was more like, uh, I know I don't want to do this. Right. You know, you always have that that notion in life. Oh, am I running from or am I running to? Right. And I was running from. Right. And you don't, at that point, when you have those doubts, there's that, you know, the voice in the back of your head saying like, no, but you're just being lazy. Like, just go through with it. You know, I know you have doubts, but it's hard and you don't want to do it, but you're going to do it. You know, it's like, how do you fight through that? Or where are you fighting through that? And you were just like, this is it. I'm just going to. Well, I, I guess I, I eluded it or I escaped it. Um, and uh, I wound up uh, doing an outward bound Mm-hmm. Uh, which is this, um, you know, it's, it's a leadership training school, but it's really uh, based on um, hiking and uh, what they call portaging, which I'd come to find out is schlepping. You know, you have lifting a, a canoe. Yeah, you over lift your a head. canoe and then you, you know, lift it over your head and walk with it. Yeah. And then, oh, great, here's the water. Start rowing. Yeah. And then the water runs out. And it's like, oh, we're going to do some, you know, you know, portaging. Portaging, now, yeah. Which, again, meant schlepping. Schlepping. And uh, then the, the, the other part of it was a, um, a sailing expedition. You do 12 days off the coast of Maine in an open boat. Oh, wow. Uh, and then another part of it is you spend three days uh, in the woods alone, kind of like reflecting. And they teach you. There's no food. They have a little bit of food, but they, mm-hmm. they teach you how to forage and stuff. I mean, I, I'm sure your listeners are like, yeah, of course, all great things for advertising. <laughs> um, but it was on that outward bound that uh, it was on my 21st birthday where, uh, you know, some things crystallized. And I said, yeah, I think I think I just want to try something with maybe writing this book. I have yeah. to do something yeah, yeah, yeah. with that book. Okay. Um, anyway, I'm rambling. I don't mean no, it's about. good. It's good. <laughs> this is a, this, the, that's the point, I think, when um, what a lot, a lot of our listeners that I have in my head uh, are, because uh, they're not real. They're not, there's no actual <laughs> listeners. Um, but, you know, uh, young people getting out of school, not yeah. knowing how to get into the business or not going, knowing what they want to do. Uh, what I'm finding is that everyone we talk to, uh, has the same story, which is like, I was lost. I was, I didn't yeah. know what I was doing, um, which is, I think, great for people yeah. to hear because now you're, you know, a success. So um, when you're at that point, at what point did adver- the word advertising come into your head and who told you that? Yeah, the, well, that, it's a very clear, uh, clear moment. I, what, what happened was I wound up getting a job at Simon & Schuster, which was a book publisher. Mm-hmm. And uh, my logic was, well, I want to write a book. I'm going to go to the place that makes the books. Hang around the barbershop long enough, <laughs> and exactly. you'll get a haircut. Exactly. 
<laughs> and um, it was a really awful job. I think I made, I don't know, $14,000 a year. Right. Uh, and it was hard. And one of the things I did, like I used to have to write these sort of like sales reports. I don't remember quite what they were, but I guess I wrote them with a little bit of flash and elan. You know, there was something about what I did that caught someone's attention. And, and this woman, she saved my life. Um, she said, you know, you're funny and you write well. I've got a friend who teaches an advertising class at School of Visual Arts mm -hmm. right across the street from mm -hmm. the studio here. Yeah. Uh, and uh, why don't you go take his classes? Okay. A guy named Tony Romeo, who a right. uh, longtime uh, legendary DDB art director. Yeah. And I said, okay, that sounds okay. So it was a night class at SVA. Yeah, so I went down to SVA, and um, I think just uh, going into SVA, which was this building of creativity. Yeah. Uh, when you walked in there, it was both a sense of kind of like fear but interest. Mm -hmm. Wow, this is like a, someone's organized this called creativity thing. Yeah. Um, and it's not just literature. I think this was one of my challenges uh, coming out of university. It was just like, well, you're a writer, so you write books. Right. Like, no, no, there's all this stuff. Yeah. Uh, and I think, plenty of copywriters have, yeah. written, have written books. Deliverance yeah. comes to mind. <laughs> and, yeah. Uh, Augustine Burroughs. Yeah, right, yeah, of course. Of course. But anyway, that that moment, I I think that was like one of those moments. You know, I just kind of went, ooh, yeah, something's happening here. Yeah. And do you remember what your first uh, attempts at advertising uh, scribbles were oh, were yeah. like? They were probably super mediocre. Um, I remember uh, I was looking for apartments in New York, and I loved how when. Um, uh, you would see advertising for apartments, you know, when they would write cozy, like you knew that was like, you know, 200 square feet. Yeah. And uh, when they would write, um, you know, I don't know, uh, exposed brick, that meant, wow, well, really, you know, the wall hasn't been finished. Yeah. Uh, and I did something for like a real estate magazine, uh, you know, that was like kind of like, you know, truth and, uh, you know, the real truth about New York real estate. Right. You know, I'm butchering it. Right, right, right. I'm butchering. I'm taking a mediocre idea and making it even worse. But yeah. I remember doing something like that. Uh, that was like sort of my first instinct. So you took from your life, like what was happening to you mm. in your life, and you just said, okay, what products can can I write about? Yeah, my biggest epiphany uh, was when the 9X campaign came out. Oh, yeah. Uh, and, uh, I think that was uh, who Ty Montague yeah. and Eric Silver and those guys over uh, at Shia, right? Ty and um, uh, uh, Cabell Harris. The Blue Bunny. Exactly. Was it a Blue Bunny or a Purple Bunny? Uh, well, I always remember uh, bulldozing. Okay, and, right. Um, it was a bull sleeping. Yeah. yeah. And so this campaign kind of erupted and, um, you know. Let's that describe was the, it, though. It was it was like there would be, I don't know, you describe it. You're, you're the shy guy. <laughs> you're the it's official. radio. They can't see. We have yeah, to you paint have to, pictures. Yeah. Uh, it, was, it was a white seamless board. Uh, and on that board was a, an actual steer, a bull, upside down. And uh, the bull was sleeping. Mm -hmm. And this was back in the time, right after the cave paintings, where you had <laughs> teaser campaigns. Yes. And for about two weeks on sides of buses. You could still do it this day, I think. <laughs> I don't Nobody know. does it anymore because I we're all know. too busy making other things. But, but literally for two weeks, uh, I saw this uh, sleeping bull, as it were, uh, all over the city. And I was very drawn to it. 
Um, and then they revealed the idea, which was uh, bulldozing, which was one of the uh, businesses that was available in the 9X Yellow Pages. Mm -hmm. The Yellow Pages being? An actual phone book. A book where you found somebody's phone number. Yeah, yeah. it's like Craigslist, but it's paper. It's like Google. Yeah. It's, but uh, And uh, if it's out there, it's in here, the 9X Yellow Pages. And I said to myself at that moment, not only do I want to do that kind of advertising, but I want to do it at the agency that made that. Mm -hmm. And that became kind of a, you know, kind of a quest to try to get to, to shy a day. That's interesting. How did you find out who did it back then? It's very difficult back then because we didn't have uh, Google. Mm -hmm. um, so a big part of it was, you know, kind of combing through one show annuals. I, yeah. I feel like I spent a lot, like an inordinate amount of time in my life looking through one show annuals and looking at three quarter inch tape. Yes. Uh, you know, after hours. Yeah. And um, we just got a bunch of uh, we we had a party the other night. Uh, should have invited you. Didn't. No problem. Um, next well, at the uh, at the next uh, the alumni party, you'll be there. Uh, but it was uh, a bunch of friends came over to the agency and uh, a writer, Mark Radcliffe. I'll mm. mention him on the podcast and he'll be very excited. Uh, he's available, ladies and gentlemen, uh, brought over all of his old one show annuals. And oh, amazing. I got to tell you, like even I like I forget that yeah. like we we are never looking at ads anymore. Yeah. Like when you see them, they're in Agency Spy or they're on they're on a screen mm. and you have to click it and go through. But having them there in your hand, where you're just paging through and you're seeing all the headlines for everyone, it's uh, yeah, I it's think, amazing. Yeah, I think it's almost uh, it's almost like a genre of um, you know call it art. Yes, yeah. I've I've also noticed sometimes when I when I when I watch. You know, some of our young people, like, they don't even have the patience for a 30-second piece of film. Like, it's true. If you bring them a reference, it's sort of like, I, I got it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. It's got to be a Snapchat. Yeah, I mean, you're going to enjoy thing. it. It's yeah. okay. I mean, yeah. I could eat pizza in eight seconds, but, yeah. you know, I try to let it last a little bit. <laughs> yeah. But um, back to the 9X thing. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I was really intrigued by that, and I saw it. I think I saw the, maybe the first campaign uh, in the annual, and I started to put two and two together. And I often remind people, I, when I took the, uh, my, my CEO job, it was one of the first pieces of creative I showed to the agency. And I said, I said this is why I came here, you yeah. know? And this is B2B advertising. Yeah, that's This the could other not thing. be more mundane. Right. And I think you have to understand, I think I read this somewhere that Jay Shiat said, it's like everything is interesting. If you find something boring, it's because you're boring. Yeah. And I just reminded people, because, you know, people always whine about, you know, well, our clients aren't sexy. And we know that. Right. Like, Every client can be sexy. Right. You know? you just Every to... client can be unsexy too, right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Some of the sexy ones are really unsexy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but that's, uh, you know, I, I, that was something that really compelled me uh, and drew me into the business further. So you found that ad. Uh, how did you, where did you go from there? Did you, how did you get your first job? Well, what happened then was... Um, how long did you have to pound the pavement? Uh, I, I feel like it wasn't that long because I was willing to work cheap and do anything. Mm -hmm. So uh, I, I started putting together my book and uh, I saw that there was a job opening at, at an agency called Altschiller Reitzfeld. Uh, and this was a little boutique agency. Uh, Bob Reitzfeld, the art director, was Ed McCabe's uh, first partner mm -hmm. or one of his, uh, you know, 
real major partners. And David Altshuler was the copy chief at Carl Alley. Mm. And I'd start to become a little bit of a uh, of an ad geek historian. And I'm like, ooh, Carl Alley, that was a great agency. Yeah. Know, FedEx, you know, and of yeah. course, Scally McCabe Slows. I mean, they, they were still quite strong, uh, you know, back in the late 80s, early 90s. Yeah. Um, so these guys had an, had an opening for a uh, copy typist proofreader. Okay. And back in the day, a lot of the writers would write on legal pads and they'd hand it to the copy boy, the copy typist, right. to start to type it up. Yeah. And uh, they liked me because I got hired as a proofreader and I had typos on my resume. So <laughs> something that I did, they liked. I don't know. But uh, that's how I got in. And once I got in, uh, and I tell people this, I said, I was just like, I will work on anything. Right. And you just stayed late and you just took whatever people gave you. And, and I heard you say that before. It's like you were the guy who um, when they when there's an assignment that nobody wanted, you you would grab it and say, yeah. that's I can do it. Yeah, I, I tell people all the time, like, you know, why, why is the mafia have so much power? Is it, you know, is it the weapons? You know, is it the money? You know, is it the extortion? Is it the brute strength? No, no, no. They're the only people willing to take out the garbage. And if you're in an yeah. agency and you're willing to take out the garbage, I don't mean literally. I yeah. mean, you have to do some of that, too. Yeah. Uh, yep. but, but if you're willing to work on the worst assignments that no one wants and then try to come up with something good, yeah. And then actually come up with something good. You're going to be really valued in the organization. Yeah. Who were your? Uh, a lot of people have uh, like a first mentor or a mm. first like who were your who were your people that or one person that really inspired you when you first got into the business. I mean, what I realized kind of later in life is that I had a lot of mentors. Um, most of them didn't know that they were my mentors. Yeah. <laughs> so. Because if you tell them, that's weird, right? Yeah. Well, you're my mentor now. And then it puts a lot of pressure on it them. Does. And then they have to be, like, smart and stuff. <laughs> it's so true. Uh, but there was a woman named Roz Green. Um, uh, she was the first female writer, I think, actually hired by Ed McCabe. There was, I guess, kind of a big scally connection to this agency. Um, and she really helped me. Like when I started working on these assignments, you know, I would show her the copy and she would just be like, oh, come on, please write this like a human being. You know, she had this great way about her. Yeah. Um, and uh, she really taught me about like, it's, it's about a voice. It's not like sentence structure. Right. I think I still had a kind of an academic approach to things. Right. And she was like, could you shorten that sentence and make it, you know, fewer paragraphs and, right. you know, that sort of thing. So she was a really great influence on me and uh, really taught me to love radio and how to give direction. Um, so she was really the first. Yeah. And I think... Uh, Roz Green. Roz Green, yeah. She's okay. no longer in the business, but she was she was really special. Yeah. Um, and then uh, both Bob and David, uh, David Altschiller and uh, Bob Reitzfeld, they didn't know they were my mentors, but they really were. Mm -hmm. uh, and what was great is that this was back in the day when, um, uh, like, we had uh, the Restaurant Associates account. Mm-hmm. Real glamour piece of business. But it was Mama Leone's restaurant and it was um, the Brasserie. It was these kind of, you know, famous New York restaurants. And every Wednesday, uh, there was going to be a menu ad in the New York Times. And this was like one of my big assignments. And two-thirds of the ad was done. It was going to be a menu. Right. But we needed a snappy headline. Yeah. And Monday mornings, I would come in super early and I would write 50 headlines yeah. to show these guys. Uh, they would eventually get to me right before lunch. Uh, and they were so fast and so dismissive of crap. And I'd walk yeah. out from those 50, maybe there were two. Right. 
And they were the kinds of things like, hey, you know, a lot of fish, not a lot of clams. You know, they were really kind of like old school yeah. kind of headlines, but it really taught you how to write snappy, fast headlines. And would you have to write more at that point? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And how many How many do you think you wrote for that one I mean, sort for, of assignment? Yeah, until you got to a lot of fish, not a lot of clams, uh, <laughs> you know, probably 80. Yeah. And it was back in a day where, you know, you were sort of prized as a writer for really liking words. Yeah. So. Yeah. Who were your Who were your first uh, partners? First partners. In the in the business, and and what was that like being paired up with a, another human that you didn't really know? And how Great. do you how do you gel? Great question. Well, my first partner was a guy named Bill Taylor, who uh, he's. Um, He's kind of been in and out of the business, but this guy, and I'm actually having dinner with him tonight. Oh. So he'll appreciate that. Hi, Bill. <laughs> he, hopefully he'll listen to this. He was the first guy I worked with, and he was really, uh, he's super smart. Uh, to this day, he's super brilliant. He eventually became a, uh, a designer and then a CMO, uh, really understands data. He's, he's really got a big brain. But what I really learned from him was just work ethic. And I think a lot of, you know, a lot of people don't understand that, like, it's just not nine to five. Right. And I remember going out to his apartment, uh, you know, back in Brooklyn when Brooklyn wasn't sexy. Mm -hmm. uh, and, like, we would work on Saturdays. And yeah. there was a part of me that was kind of like, wow, like, am I supposed to be doing this? But right. you just learn, like, whatever it takes to get something great. Like, yeah. if you're chasing excellence, you yeah. start to not worry so much about time anymore. You even forget what time it is and where, yeah, yeah you forget to eat. Yeah. Things well, like that, that. that doesn't happen often. But <laughs> but it, it's true. It's like, oh, wow, I didn't eat lunch. Uh, you know, yeah. that's when you know you're doing you're yeah. doing your best yeah. stuff. So I learned um, that from him. I worked for the guy named Lance Paul, another great uh, art director. Uh, uh, those are the, um, you know, in that uh, agency in New York, that was really my, my first two. And then when I moved out to... Um, to L.A., uh, I worked with a guy named uh, Steve Levitt and um, Denise Crandall at Team One. So a lot of great people. What? So that first job at what was the agency called? Uh, Alt Schiller at Reitzfeld. How long were you there? I was there uh, probably two years too long. I was there for four years. Wow. And um, I just— Did you uh, move up from copy? Yeah. Typist to what? Yeah, what I moved up from you... copy typist to then uh, I became what was like the cub writer. Mm -hmm. And there are people in the business who still call me cubby. Um, yeah. John Pierce, who uh, runs uh, Hudson Rogue, he'll he'll tell you good cubby stories. Yeah. Um, and then I eventually became a copywriter. And uh, but I I didn't have the confidence to to leave in a way. I think that's something for people like uh, they may stay in jobs too long because they don't have a belief in their talent. What are the what are the things where you could be like, oh, wait, I'm in this job too long. How do you know? Well, what I started to do uh, was, you know, I worked at Al Schiller 9 to 5. And then from like 5 to midnight, I worked at uh, Weiss Witten, uh, Carol Stagliano. Wow. And uh, this was back at a time when uh, I didn't actually meet Tom Carroll then, who I eventually met, uh, you know, over at the TBWA. But sure. um, I met uh, Nat Witten and... Uh, he was this guy who just kind of opened the door and said, hey, yeah, we need some help here. And we would work on pitches at night. Or right. I remember, you know, they had like a local Pizza Hut franchise and we would do, you know, Pizza Hut radio, whatever it was. Right. And what I loved about Nat was that, oh, he was one of those shy at day people. Mm. So I suddenly had a connection. So you had never tried to get to the shy at day people before or had you like sent your book and like you didn't hear anything? Well, I uh -huh. sent it when, when Dick Sittig, uh came to New York, I sent him a note 
And uh, he was like, yeah, send me your book. And I was like, oh, my God, Dick Sittig wants to see my book. And I was like, I'm not good enough. And, really? Um, so I didn't send it. And uh, it wasn't until I, you know, I had much more confidence in my career. That, That's crazy. Uh, I was able to You're like, it. this is my dream job, but no. Yeah, because I was, I had a real fear of failure and I just yeah. didn't think I was good enough. So you wanted to just keep, so you did that for four years. Where'd you, where, where'd you finally go after that? Uh, after that, I wound up going to Hill Holiday, LA. Uh, we, it's interesting. We worked on a pitch for Volvo um, that we did not win at, at Altschiller. And mm-hmm. uh, two guys who ran the pitch actually got hired uh, at Messner. I think Messner had won the business. Mm-hmm. And then those guys eventually got hired uh, at Hill Holiday. And they remembered me, you know, as, as kind of a young, scrappy cub. And they brought me out there. Yeah. So you just stay in touch with those guys and the, and, and they, they call you out. Yeah, yeah. And you decided, okay, I'm going to do it. I'm going to go to L.A. Yeah. So this is in the early 90s. Uh, and New York was really not a great place. I, I couldn't make any money. I, I just I just felt like everything about it was just not working for me. Yeah. And in fact, um, there were riots that were erupting in Los Angeles in 1992, in May yeah. of 1992. And, you know, there were just like flames on the TV and it was just like kind of a war zone. Yeah. And I just thought, you know what? That's better than New York. <laughs> <laughs> and I flew in. I remember I got a call from the agency and they said, hey, we're going to have to move your flight because people are firing guns at the planes. Oh. So, yeah. 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 Were you like, real. okay, you never thought for a second, like, maybe maybe I shouldn't uh, go to L.A. after that? People are shooting at planes. Because, I, you know, I love New York. Uh, but at the time, I really didn't. And yeah. I just, I had to get away from New York that that was okay. Yeah. You just need to change. I think so. So what's the difference between New York uh, advertising and L.A. advertising? Is there a difference? Well— You have two offices. You yeah. Have one in New York, one I in mean, in, in, in terms of the output, I think, you know, both New York and— uh, and at least I can only speak to, to our, our agency. Yeah. I mean, I think we're both trying to do amazing things. Yeah. So I think the, um, the objective of the offices isn't different. But the style of working is, I think, dramatically different. Yeah. Because when you're in L.A., you're in your own bubble. You're mm-hmm. in your own bomb factory. Mm-hmm. There might be another bomb factory down the road, another one down the road, but we're in this one. Yeah. And you spend a lot of time with a lot of those people in that one area. Yeah. Uh, what I'm finding in New York, and I'm finding it really refreshing, is that, like, me meeting you today. Yeah. You know, like, people are meeting more. Like, I'm meeting people constantly. I'm constantly going out to lunch. I'm constantly, you know, brainstorming and, and, and yeah. dreaming of things with other people. Yeah trying to make it happen. And when I was in LA, you know, if we wanted to get together, I mean, we, it, that would take six weeks. And the day that, you know, we were going to meet, like, wow, we'd have a lot of discussion. Well, I don't know. I can take the 10 yeah. to the 405. Maybe maybe I'll just take Sepulveda. I mean, you right. know, you'd spend, you know, 20 minutes figuring out the route there. Yeah. And then the whole place closes at 11 p.m. and everybody's home in their houses. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm an early riser, so I had no problem with uh, with late night uh, yeah. LA. But um, uh, yeah, it's just uh, you do your um, you you do your con- conspiratorial theory uh, um, um, thinking yeah. uh, with your cohorts, uh, kind of in one place, and yeah. you don't sometimes you don't open up as much to other okay. people. That's a that's a good difference between the two places. How long were you there in LA? Uh, 25 years total. Wow. With a brief stint in San Francisco. Wow. Yeah, so I'm you old. went up, 
You went went up to San Francisco for what? What I went to an agency that eventually became BBDO West. Uh, It was a company called Mandelbaum, Mooney, Ashley. And there's a guy named Ken Mandelbaum who was a great writer. Um, And uh, I went up going there for nine months. I really didn't care for it. I didn't, you know, San Francisco and me, uh, it wasn't a thing. Um, Yeah. It just, I don't know, the whole time I just felt like, really, this is it? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It depends on when you're in San Francisco, what year you're in San Francisco. Um, The the job in L.A., that was Team One? Is that where you were? Was it called Team One back then? Yeah. So I went to Hill Holiday for six months. Uh, I got laid off. Uh, They lost, actually, the Infinity piece of business. Oh, wow. and what I, was that like being fired for the first time or laid off or however? Scary. Yeah. Um, and you just flew to Los Angeles yeah, I'd under there gunfire. Literally six months to the day. I I really love living out there. So, there, you know, yeah. as I as I told my wife, I was never wealthier than when I was making, you know, 50 grand a year living on the beach in Venice. Yeah, yeah. You know? yeah. Um, like it was – I loved living out there. Uh, but, uh, yeah, when um, – when the, the layoff happened, what was very scary is that I wasn't prepared at all for what to do next. Right. Like, I remember very distinctly, like, uh, you know, I got laid off. There was a, one of the art directors I was working with. Like, within minutes, he was in a room and making charts. And here are the agencies he's going to contact. And, you know, here's the stage of his portfolio. And, and, and I was like, wait, wait what? Like, yeah. Wow, like, what am I doing? I'm just going to sit here and stare out the window. <laughs> a little bit, yeah, you yeah. know? Uh, but what was interesting uh, back then is that I really wanted to work at Team One because it was kind of a golden moment for Lexus. Right. And they were doing some uh, excellent advertising. Um, and what wound up happening is, is I sent my book uh, over to Team One, um, I think on a Thursday. Yeah. I got a call on Friday. Uh, and they said, hey, come in. You know, we got a freelance gig for you. And yeah. I'm like, okay. And they're like, wow, it just yeah. sort of happened that yeah, way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and a couple of interesting things happened. First off, I came off the elevator that Friday, uh, and I saw the woman who had become my wife. I literally saw her, like, off the elevator. I said, wow. You know, I think, wow. Uh, wow. So my wife was a writer there. Uh, and then I took this freelance job, and I did it, again, it wasn't like a glamorous job. I did a lot of kind of, you know, uh, CRM writing and a lot right. of sort of, you know, non-sexy stuff. But they had been looking for a writer for a long time. They they needed to replace Chuck McBride, and uh, wow. I was the guy who replaced Chuck at Team One. Wow! Um, did you were you nervous about getting into cars? Because I, I remember at the time thinking like, don't get into cars because you'll never get out. You know, is it was there anything like that? That um... I don't think so. I had such a good experience uh, when I pitched Volvo. Right. Um, I mean, I remember uh, I remember doing a really interesting ad i thought which was uh it showed a, it showed a hearse and it was you know the whole thing was, it was you know i think drive safely was the line at the time yeah. uh it was just a hearse and it said if more people drove volvos fewer people would ride in cadillacs and i was always like you know like i wanted to make ads yeah yeah like yeah, that. yeah. Uh, so i didn't yeah. have a problem with cars right you never felt like you were going to get you were going to get pigeonholed not really okay mm-hmm. um and then uh what happened from there? You you were you're at Team One. You're uh, you you replace Chuck McBride. First yeah. of all, is that was that was he sort of Chuck McBride at the time? Yeah, like, he was like amazing. he was a he was a big deal. Yeah. Were you were when you I nervous showed up about there, I'm like oh yeah? Were you nervous <laughs> about like following in the footsteps of? Uh, uh, you of know, that? I was so happy that I got the job there that I wasn't really thinking about that. And yeah. um, 
It was like the 27 Yankees there. It was like a murderer's row of great people. I mean, Steve Silver and Mike Mazza. I mean, I'll, I'll throw the names out. You know, I'm sure maybe two or three people will remember some of these amazing people. But, uh, well, first of all, Tom Cordner was the, was a, um, you know, the chief creative officer, great mm -hmm. guy. Um, he's now an excellent professor over at the Art Center. Yeah. Uh, he really taught me a lot. Uh, but Steve Silver and Mike Mazza were the uh, kind of the guys who ran the day-to-day. -day. Yeah. A guy named Ron Huey and John Boone, a uh, fantastic team. Um, Court Crandall's wife, Denise Crandall, was my partner. She was excellent. My wife, Betsy Hamilton, and her partner, Lisa Gargano. Um, uh, Mike Felino, who was over at Wyden. Uh, Steve Levitt. I mean, they were... Uh, uh, Glenn Wachowiak. Uh, uh, I mean, just so many great people. It's crazy. I want. I want to make a a giant chart of all of these interviews and all of the people that. Because oh, I'm great. sure there's there's overlaps. Um, oh, already, yeah. it's like Jerry Graff was in uh, Venice, probably at the same time you were. He was killing rats, but oh. you were. <laughs> You were doing something else. But, uh, yeah, the overlap is amazing. And and the other thing that sticks with me is that it's the people. Yeah. It's not really about the ads or the agencies or the clients. It's the—I mean, it might be the people clients. But, yeah. but not, it's not what you work on. It's who you work with and the things you learn from them and the way that you treat them and they treat you that is oh, important. Oh, that question. I mean, uh, eventually uh, David Angelo and uh, Andy Spade came in. I mean, yeah. the talent in that place. Yeah. Uh, David talked about that too. Yeah, oh, his, yeah. And his yeah, he was sitting right there. He was amazing. Um, what uh, you what are, what are the campaigns that you're most proud of from from that era uh, from the first? Well, I mean that era. Uh, there was a lot of again a lot of great Lexus work. I, I made a, like a tiny little dent in the world. Uh, I did a safety campaign, uh, like just a, like a nice print campaign. But one of the ones that people remind me of is uh, it was a um, it's about their dummies. Their, their test dummies, right. and uh, the headline was uh, Sensitive Slouching Bald, How Much More Lifelike Can They Get? <laughs> and it really talked about uh, the technology of, uh, you know, of great, uh, of, their, yeah. of their their safety systems. Yeah, yeah. But uh, I'd done some things that were, you know, kind of uh, interesting, and it, it, it caught the eye uh, of the folks at Shia Day, and it was at a time when, um, you know, Nissan was, you know, kind of struggling with the agency. Uh, they just launched Enjoy the Ride, and... Uh, That's what I, the I, dogs love trucks. Yeah, I mean, Thing. some of the best work ever. Uh, and they just needed some help. Like, how else can we integrate? I, I, I guess I was integrating stuff uh, before, like, people use the word integration. I just kind of naturally thought that way. Because you could write CRM and you could write direct, probably, and you, you could do all that stuff. So a lot of people didn't want to or yeah. didn't, like, I think that's that's a major that comes full circle from what you were talking about before about, yeah. you know, do the things that nobody else wants to do and you'll be in the room. Yeah. I, at the time, I was not a strategic thinking that way. I just, you know, I, like, I loved Tim Delaney. So I loved reading these long copy ads. Yeah, and yeah, I loved, yeah. you know, these beautifully framed arguments. And uh, again, you know, to this day, like, not everybody loves sentences and not everybody likes paragraphs. So yeah. If, <laughs> yeah. So that's how you got to Shiat. They saw your work uh, yeah. with Team One, and they and they and you've been kind of there ever yeah. since, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, what? What? Why Shiat? What? What is it about that place that uh, kept you for so long? You it's know, so I, it's so rare for somebody to be as sort of loyal as you've been. Yeah. Well. Yeah. I'm sort of blessed and cursed with loyalty. But um, <laughs> I think the. You know, going back to 9X, there was something about the agency that I was really connected to. Um, and when I just started reading about the agency back when um, 
I don't know, the Winner's Magazine. I mean, there was Body Copy. You know, there seems to be a lot of interesting uh, magazines. And, you know, when I read about Jay and I read about Lee, I was just like, wow, like, you know, I see the world this way. Jay Shiat, Lee Clow. Sorry, yeah, Jay Shiat, Lee Clow. I see the world this way. And that's when I said, I kind of want to be there. Yeah. And, uh, you know, what happens... uh, you know, like in these agencies is uh, your job changes every couple of years because the, because the business changed. So yeah. That's why. And you changed from, I mean, you made the big change from creative to CEO. Yeah. Uh, what, why and what, what's the difference? Uh, well, again, I was kind of, uh, you know, floundering around. I wasn't sure what I was going to do with my life. And uh, when uh, our new uh, network CEO, Troy Ruhanen, showed up, uh, uh, um, I met him and he said, uh, you know, what do you want to do next? And I said, I don't know. You know, I'm sorry. I was in this kind of amorphous global role. You know, sometimes when they like you and they yeah. don't have to do with you, it's like, yeah, just take a global role. Yeah. And it was actually a great job because we actually had some real um, fires on, uh, we helped the McDonald's business globally. Yeah, right. So one of the last things I did as a creative director was this uh, pictogram campaign. Uh, and... Uh, it was really cool because they didn't have a global creative director. So I sort of stepped in and helped do this thing. And we, you know, we brought it to life and, uh, you know, it was huge for McDonald's and it won a bunch of awards. It was really cool. Uh, but I guess there was not that job necessarily. And, uh, the New York office was, you know, open and struggling. Yeah. Uh, and he said, well, what do you think about that job? And I said, you know, what? give me a week and let me think about it. And I wrote a business plan, like a creative guy business plan. Yeah. Uh, And I just, what struck me as I really thought about it was, hey, let's not look at this as like a legacy agency. Let's look at this as a startup. And uh, as a startup, our killer app is this thing called disruption. Like we have some, you know, beautiful tools. Yeah. And uh, I said, and by the way, it's a startup, but it's got this kind of global reach. Yeah. And uh, I put it in our, like, disruption framework. Yeah. Uh, And uh, the idea that that burst out was startup hustle, New York muscle, uh, startup hustle, global muscle. Right. And uh, when I got to the agency, I, I, as a New Yorker, I kind of, I was like, wow, this is not New York enough. Like, we have to make this more New York. Yeah, yeah. And I just changed it to New York hustle, global muscle. Yeah. And that's what stuck. And that's kind of what happened. That's cool. Yeah. Uh, Lee used to call it uh, We Are Pirates, right? That yeah. was his thing. Um, uh, and It came it, from Jay. That came from Jay. Okay. Yeah. So there was, and, and whether it came from Jay or Steve Jobs, no one really knows, and I think no one really cares because it's cool. But uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, it was this idea that it's more fun to be the pirates than the Navy. Right. And yes. uh, again, I was attracted to that. I yeah. thought that was really kind of you know, cool. And, I love that. That's because yeah. it feels like, you know, we're the bad kids. We can do, we can do other things. We can do, you know, we can do the small things. We can do the big things. We can, whatever feels right. Yeah. Time. And, and pirates are very entrepreneurial. I wound up reading a lot about them and, uh, you know, interesting management philosophies on pirate ships and, uh, you know, oh, that's what interesting. was interesting is that the, you know, pirates are very organized, but they have the illusion of bluster. So it looks like chaos, yet right. everything is completely organized. Yeah. And again, I was really attracted to that as, a, as kind of a management philosophy. Yeah, even the skull and crossbones is designed to just scare people yeah. into, you know, thinking, oh, they're going to kill me. Yeah. <laughs> but they would just take you onto the ship and make you work. Yeah, exactly. Is what they would really exactly. do. Um, do you ever miss being just a creative? Do you ever miss, like, going into the 
sitting down and writing a hundred headlines or are you done with that? Is that uh, sort of the kind of thing? I don't think you're ever not a creative, even in this job. I yeah. mean, uh, I think what's been interesting is that my mind has been opened up to so many other parts of the business that I find fascinating. Yeah. Um, whether it's, you know, really knowing more about the customer, really understanding media, really, um, you know, kind of understanding positionings of the agency itself. Yeah. I mean, that is its own creative project. Yeah. Uh, and by the same token, uh, you know, nature abhors a vacuum. So if there's like, we can't crack it, I'll just write a line for somebody. Sure. Or, um, you can always do that. Yeah. You know. And, you know, we're, we want our creative product great. So I feel like everybody has some skin in the game. Yeah. Uh, and I have to have, you know, the most skin in some ways. Right. Do you feel like that that's what set you apart as a set you apart as a creative you were called uh, a ceo's creative mm. uh back in the day and still and is that what makes you a better creative because you get to learn the business like how do you how do you learn the business i mean i think there's a yin yang to it i think uh when you approach the the very kind of hardcore business problems of scopes of work and ftes right yeah, and yeah. really uh kind of uh, hardcore business stuff I sometimes look at it, well, what's the creative output of this? Mm -hmm. And it, by the same token, I can look at some piece of creative and I start to go, okay, well, how is this going to work in terms of how we systematize this? Right. So I kind of feel that I am unique because I yin-yang when I look at these things. Yeah. And you can see what's in it for both sides yeah. of, the, of the house. Yeah. Yeah. I find that uh, when I'm working on a piece of business, the best thing you can do as a young creative, and I want to get into some of the things that you, you would tell a young young person now, but um, one of the things I would tell them is definitely like when you're on an assignment, learn everything about that business. Mm. Read the trade magazine of that organization if there is one. Read the the about page on their website. And you get so much out of figuring out how they make money. Mm -hmm. um, that you can then take, okay, now let me put that aside and come up with some crazy creative ideas that will get them that money yeah. uh, without overtly asking for it. It's yeah. such a it's such a good thing to learn and the fact that you you knew how to do that. Well, I only knew how to do it because I saw Lee do it, Lee Clow. I mean Oh wow. Yeah. I think you know what people may not know is that, you know, very early on I started to see Wow, Lee really knows a lot about the business problems that mm -hmm. are happening. Mm -hmm. And uh, somebody told me that uh, when um, Shiat had the Porsche business, the Porsche people really only wanted to talk to Lee because they felt that he really understood all the pieces of their business. Not just, oh, here's the most interesting way to tell the story. Right. But he really understood holistically. Yeah. Um, and the other thing, you know, he told me, I mean, you know, hanging out with him, I'm very lucky, you know. And, yeah. Uh, uh, you know, he he would tell me, he's like, everything has to start in the creative department. You have to be the engine of the company, of mm -hmm. our company. Mm -hmm. And everything starts from the creative department. And therefore, you have to know everything. Yeah. And when you go to the client, let, be the smartest person in the room. Yeah. Because if you want to sell something amazing, they have to go, wow, that guy really not only understands my business, but really cares about my business. Right. And I think that's a, you know, I think there's a, there's a, almost a reluctance sometimes 
for the creatives to say, ugh, I'm not going to get my hands dirty on the business. Well, it feels like such a long, like, road to go, you know, to to understand the business you're working on. But um, it's really the opposite. Yeah. And, I, and, I, and to me— it helps you connect more dots too, doesn't oh, it? Oh, without like question. Like when you when you like learn like oh, uh, they have these monthly meetings that they do. You're like oh wait, maybe those monthly meetings can become uh, we could do a podcast there, or we exactly. could like do Snapchat there. Or we you know it's another way of sort of getting the brand uh, to sort of show itself to the world. Yeah, there's 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 that, and there's just that moment where if you say something really powerful about their business and why this idea is right. Yeah. Uh, they may take you seriously for it, and you can do it. Yeah, and then you can do crazy stuff. Yeah. Because yeah. they're like, well, you know, he knows about the monthly meetings. So yeah, yeah, way. exactly. Um, what uh, What keeps you motivated every day? How do you uh, How do you uh, What gets you up in the morning? Uh, what gets me out of bed? Now? Um, I mean, I'm just trying to, you know, do something amazing. I mean, I just, you know, we're on this planet for a certain amount of time, yeah. and uh, uh, I just you know, I just want to work with people and try to do something great. Mm -hmm. And um, I just, I don't know what else I would do, you know? Right. Yeah, I feel like that too. Like, I, I would, yeah. What, what, uh, what advice do you give to, to, what other advice would you give to somebody who's looking to um, get into this business and, and doesn't know how to or? Well, first off, I tell a lot of people because now that my daughter's, uh, you know, graduating, I'm, you know, next year. But I start to talk to a lot of her friends and stuff. I, when they're lost, I say go into advertising, because you learn about every business mm. and you learn how to do business, mm -hmm. uh, and you're not going to be stuck in some wormhole somewhere, uh, you know, punching in numbers uh, and writing dopey sales reports like I did. Right. Like get into an agency. Yeah, um, and you'll start learning stuff. So I think yeah. first and foremost, I think it's 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 such an amazing business just to get into, right? To learn about other businesses, other businesses, you might and not then stay. find and find the one that that fits you best. Yeah. Oh, maybe everybody should be in advertising. I think you should start there. Yeah, I don't think that's a, that's a bad thing. Yeah, that's kind of cool, and like a generalist yeah. kind of a job. Yeah, but I think you learn uh, you learn the pace of business, and uh, you're going to meet a lot of interesting people. Yeah. On the how question you asked, mm -hmm. um, I think uh, you've never had more ways to express yourself. You know, when when I, when we started, uh, and I'm older than you, I mean, you only had your portfolio. Yeah. And there, by the grace of God, someone would actually look at it. <laughs> now you can, like, really create things yeah. that could become famous on their own. Yeah. And suddenly the creative directors have to come to you. So uh, one of the things I would tell people is make stuff. Yeah. Like just start making stuff. Yeah. Get it um, out there. Get it out there. And try to make it famous. Yeah, exactly. Because then you're doing advertising job. Yeah. That and I, th and I think LinkedIn, you know, I think a lot of people write to me on LinkedIn. Yeah. Um, and uh, I think that to me shows some initiative and, you know, some people who, who've got some energy and some ambition. Yeah. What's the what's the way to do LinkedIn? What are, what are your LinkedIn tips? Uh, LinkedIn, <laughs> I think uh, I think if you like something that's posted from somebody, you know, you're following some you know creative directors or CEOs, and you like something, like it, make a comment. Yeah. Hey, this is really this is this is really cool. Tell me some more. Yeah. Um, Ask a question. Yeah, like yeah. show me that you're interested. Right, and that you have something to say. Yeah. What's the future? What's your take on the future of advertising? Like, where's it going? 
I heard you talking about uh, authenticity and mm. and uh, how you know brands doing things. That that's something that really interests me. Um, what are some other um, ways that the future is is happening? You know, I think that there's there's definitely some clouds coming in with uh, all these consultants, uh, <laughs> you know, sort of showing up, um, you know, to 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 steal our scopes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. <laughs> I think on the healthy front, I think what's interesting about the consultants is that they're um, they really understand customer journeys, and I think yeah. that's that's one of the secrets of our business. You really have to understand uh, the full holistic. A view of how a customer interacts with a brand. Right. Um, so I think one future is very pragmatic, which is um, understand, uh, you know, customers even better. That's that's kind of one thing. It doesn't sound really, you know, that amazing. But I think the inspirational thing is that at the end of the day, what I've discovered is that at a certain point with clients, it's either really broken and somebody's got to kind of Jenga and put things back together. Mm -hmm. That's a job of an agency. Yeah. Or there's nothing. There's a blank sheet of paper and people are looking around. And there's no reason why you can't be the person to say, I got an idea. Yeah. I think if you have a vision for something, an idea, some energy, if you can just muster up the guts. To just do it. To just put it on paper and say, what about this? You are 50% of the way there. And I don't think a lot of people have that. I think yeah. brilliant people at clients don't necessarily have that. Right. So I think the future of the advertising is literally the timeless piece of advertising, which is have ideas on behalf of brands yeah. and bring that to them. Yeah. Good. Any uh, books that we should be reading? Any books the, the, the young people should be reading? Um, what on how to... Good books, the Bible. No, um, <laughs> I mean there's there's uh, there are a couple of interesting books. Uh, well, there's disruption. Isn't that a, that's a book, right? Let's go right do to we, the propaganda. Do we do we do we do we have that? Is that still a book? <laughs> yeah, you. Could, I had one when you, I was there. You could read Disruption by Jean Marie Drew. Yeah, are you um, in the original French? Yes, <laughs> or uh, or uh, the original German. Yeah, um, yeah. I would say. I mean, disruption's pretty good. Mm -hmm. uh, he's got a new book called "The Ways to New," which is really interesting about um, how companies can innovate the way they innovate. Mm -hmm. uh, th those are really good. Um, books that I really like. I like, one of the books that uh, really changed my life is a book called uh, "The Artist's Way" yes. by Julia Cameron. It's a and, great book. Uh, that book, especially for creative people, yeah. uh, especially for writers, uh, but for anybody, the practice of doing morning pages. The morning pages is is everything. I mean, that's it. I mean, that's probably if you're going to do one thing after this podcast, I would uh, you know download that onto your iPad and 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 read that one. All right, the artist's way. You heard it here. Thank you, Rob Schwartz. Anything else uh, we should talk about? What are your What are your How do we get you on the on LinkedIn? We could find you, Rob Schwartz. Uh, and where else can we uh, – do you have Twitter? Do you do that? Oh, my God. The, the, the Rob Schwartz social media machine is up and running every day. Okay. Um, you can hit me up at, at Schwartzy14 uh, on Twitter. Uh, okay. S-C-H-W-A-R-T-Z-I-E-14. All right. Uh, and I'm uh, – as I like to tell people, I'm dropping gold all the time. So yeah. please, uh, please, please check it out. We're going to like and retweet and things like that. So one other thing is uh, – you, we're not the only podcast in town. You've got uh, your own podcast that you. What's it called? Yes, I do. I mean, it's 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 no A list. 
Let's start. <laughs> yeah. It's no A-list. It's got way more subscribers, I bet. <laughs> it's called the Disruptor Series. Uh, and uh, what I uh, am looking to do is to talk to people who are disrupting business, culture, and life. Mm -hmm. So not so much advertising people, although right. advertising people are welcome. But uh, I'm just looking for people who have a, a different spin on the world. Yeah. And, um, who are some of the people you've talked to recently? Uh, well, a couple of folks who are really interesting. One is a guy named Chris Linland. Uh, he runs a company called Beta Brand. Uh -huh. uh, this is a really interesting clothing company. And uh, so they uh, make clothes based on internet rules, not fashion rules. Oh, wow. That's a disruption. Yeah. Uh, there's a guy named uh, Peter Himmelman, who's a singer-songwriter, who wound up becoming uh, kind of a management guru. He went from rock star to management guru. Uh, he helps people understand and identify what to do with their fear. Yeah. So he told a really interesting uh, story. Uh, I just had uh, the brilliant uh, Debbie Millman on, who's a professor at, uh, at SBA. Uh, she ran a great uh, design company called Sterling Brands, but she's one of the smartest people on um, design today. And she, we, we had a really interesting conversation just about, you know, design thinking being kind of overblown yeah. and uh, uh, all kinds of other interesting ways. So cool. that's what uh, I'm looking to do. And it's called the Disruptor Series. It's called the Disruptor Series. It's on iTunes and something called Podbean, mm -hmm. which I uh, strongly recommend because they have wonderful metrics. Podbean? Podbean, yeah. All right. Yeah. I'll check that out. Yeah, it's good. Thanks, Rob Schwartz. Thanks, Tom. So that was my chat with Rob Schwartz, CEO of TBWA Shiat Day. Uh, you should go check out his podcast. Uh, it's called The Disruptor Series. I'm going to go subscribe to it right now and rate it, which you should do to this podcast as well. Uh, this is The A-List, brought to you by Ad House Advertising School. I'm Tom Chrisman. Thanks for listening. Please rate us and subscribe to the show on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you want to be interviewed for an upcoming episode, contact us through adhousenyc.com or on our Facebook page, which is, uh, I believe, the A-List podcast on Facebook. The A-List is recorded at Gramercy Post in New York City. Thanks for listening, everybody.